0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Jordan Paris Show, episode number 240. This one's a solo episode with, uh, of course, only uh, yours truly, Jordan Paris. So I'm here today. I'm enjoying my day. It's been a great week. I'm hanging out up in somewhere in the northern part of Florida, living with my girlfriend for a couple of weeks whilst I wait for my new home to be ready, probably the middle of March. I'm really excited about it. I think I've probably mentioned it a couple of times. I mentioned it to everyone. It's just ridiculously exciting as a first-time homebuyer, homeowner, and I've been on Wayfair for like two, three, four hours a day. It's kind of crazy, kind of unhealthy. My eyesight gets blurry by the end of the day, but I love Wayfair. I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'm like Mr. Furniture, Mr. Wayfair right now. It's really fun. Besides that, the TED Talk, I was supposed to... I'm recording this... What is it? A couple of... Yeah, I'm recording this on a Thursday. I was supposed to give my TED Talk two days ago on Tuesday, as you may have heard in my episode with Dr. Brian Keating. I told him in passing, I complimented how great his TED Talk was and how it was inspiring for me, giving a TED Talk exactly a week from... Today, the date I was talking to Brian, and of course, yet again, it was postponed. It's been postponed now more times than I can even count on one hand, more times I can even remember. Remember, this talk was supposed to be given on March 21st or 22nd of 2020, and it's been postponed many times since then because of. Coronavirus and other things, and so with that, I this one was canceled. I was going to give it in front of a, a the Turning Point USA club at uh, one of these at a university up here, and I was going to give it a, in front of people, and it was going to be great, especially since we're all supposed to be like giving talks with just a videographer. Like since we're not doing it on site anymore at TEDx Wabash College we're just supposed to get with a videographer and do it in studio or something like that. Just you and a videographer. And that's really boring and stupid. And it just gets rid of the whole human to human dynamic. When you're speaking in front of a crowd, it's just a very different dynamic. It's very different for the speaker. You talk differently. I I feed off the crowd. And so I was really down and out about having to give it in front of just a videographer. It's going to be really crappy. And so, I was just mailing it in, and when I got this opportunity to give it in front of a club, in front of real people, dozens of people, I said, hey, this is awesome. It's not going to be 400 the way it was going to be in, in an auditorium with the big TEDx letters and the red circle, although I did just buy, I did, I bought a five by five red carpet circle, the exact one that they use at uh, this particular TEDx conference that they've been using the past few years. So I have that. And I won't, thankfully, I still won't be giving it in a studio. I pleaded with the organizers, please, 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 even with this postponement, do not let me do it. Do not make me do it in a studio. And alas, I will not have to do it in the studio. I will be going to the same club again on the 11th of March. And so I'm excited to give my TED Talk in front of real human beings there. Now, why did it get postponed? Well, the Turning Point USA Club, they posted a picture without masks on their Instagram all together in a building on campus, and the university went and suspended them and whatnot. Now, to be fair, the university's being relatively lenient in letting them have this meeting on the 11th, which I'm very happy about, and I pray that it doesn't get postponed again. Now, on to today's matters. I wanted to speak on two different things. We'll see if I go more than that. But this first one is about a school in Pennsylvania. You know, with a lot of these schools, you hear in San Francisco, they're doing white privilege training for faculty and whatnot. I've spoken about it in passing. Matt Walsh of The Matt Walsh Show has, from Daily Wire has done some very good episodes about some of these the horrific Marxist practices that these schools are putting into effect, not just in San Francisco, but really across the nation. And now it has literally struck close to home. This particular school has gone full social justice. And in their pamphlet that they recently sent out about curricular audits and additions. Now, let me read this to you. Quote, this past summer, each of our departments began a curricular audit a process our department chairs prepared for last year by studying Gloria Ladson-Billings' work about culturally responsive teaching practice. A key aspect of this review is ensuring that students are exposed to a multitude of voices, perspectives, experiences, and ideas throughout the curriculum, and that all students see themselves represented. Intentional changes to improve academic diversity include a full review of our upper school English reading lists, the addition of stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You to the U.S. History curriculum in both 8th and 11th grades, and our math department's continued work to develop a curriculum for Algebra 2 and Statistics that applies a mathematical lens to issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. Now there is a lot here to unpack. I guess I'll start with this book, Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, being added to the U.S. History curriculum? Really? This is what we're focusing on in U.S. History? Why not teach history as it actually happened instead of pushing your B.S. diversity and inclusion Marxist agenda? Like, I don't understand how stamped racism, anti-racism, and you fits into a class called U.S. history. I just don't really understand that. Perhaps I'll read the book and see if I can understand a little bit more here and some of the ideas that will be shared in U.S. history classes. I'm really curious because as we know, racism, it's discriminating against people based on the, on the basis of race. Well, it's funny that anti-racism pretty much has the same definition in my book, discriminating against people, again, on the basis of race, except in this lens, it's usually framed as positive discrimination, like giving minorities the vaccine first and not allowing white people to have the vaccine first, or segregating dormitory halls based on race. This is what anti-racism is here in America in 2020, 2021, it's positive discrimination on the basis of race, quote-unquote positive. It's really not positive. It's so progressive, as Candace Owens would say, it's so progressive that it's regressive, especially when you look at these segregated dormitory halls at none other than UCLA and UC Berkeley and other colleges. Mm -hmm. Dorm buildings for black people only on campuses really weird. So progressive, it's regressive. Now, the other thing in this curricular audits and additions part of the pamphlet, let's see, math. Wow. How does diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice find its way into math class, into algebra two and statistics? Can we just focus on the math instead of pushing your Marxist ideology of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. Social justice, the parasite that has literally infected every institution in math classes. What sense does this make? I'll answer the question for you. It makes no sense. And notice as well that they don't use the word equality. They use the word equity. Equality, of course, is a quality of opportunity, a wonderful thing. If they said that, perhaps I wouldn't have as big of a problem with it. If Joe Biden was going around using the word equality, perhaps I wouldn't have such a problem with it. But instead, Joe Biden, the like, this particular school, they're using the word equity, which is equality of outcome, aka socialism. That's what equity is, equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. Now, below the curricular audits and additions section, there's a picture of four people on Zoom with the caption, a highlight of July's virtual summit on racial justice. This is what this school is doing. They're, they're having summits on racial justice. Which, And, and by the way, meanwhile, my, my brother's university, they're having the founders of Black Lives Matter on Zoom. I believe they did that towards the end of summer. They hosted a a similar summit on racial justice. Anyway, back to this school and their pamphlet here. A highlight of July's virtual summit on racial justice was the Real Conversations About Race series, each featuring a presentation and Q&A. The series included centering race and gender in school. I wasn't thinking about race and gender when I was in school. I was literally colorblind, I was genderblind. is either you get along with people, you get along with that person, or you don't, and it doesn't matter what their race or gender is. It has no relevance. So why do we need to center race and gender in high schools? Why do they feel the need to do this? We all have equality of opportunity. Men, women, black, white, Asian, We can all do wonderful things. There is nothing stopping us. Anyhow, back to the caption. The series included centering race and gender in school. Raising anti-racist children. Again, we know what anti-racist means. And naming, honoring, and healing racial trauma. Healing racial trauma? You mean the racial trauma that you literally incited? The racial war that you incited? It's weird. In an odd series of events, the people that literally poisoned the water have reappeared, claiming they can fix, they can clean the water. Super bizarre. This is a Marxist institution of social justice indoctrinating young people, unknowing, unassuming, innocent young people at rapid rates, all for the low, low, low cost of $40,000 per year how great is that what a deal now i'm fairly certain that there are conservative parents that unknowingly decided years ago to send their child to this school and i wonder why not take your child out of this school you're paying forty thousand dollars per year for her to go to this marxist social justice factory turning out social justice warriors like it's some assembly line. You're playing Russian roulette with your daughter's values. And it was a tough, tough decision. It would be pretty painstaking to pull your child away from all the friends that they've made over the past few years for certain. But at the same time, we're really playing Russian roulette with her values And what's more important, being cool or being a successful person of principle and morals? Not the preachy, self-hating bullshit that this school is teaching. They want all white people to hate themselves. And so I think about it. You know, what if I went to one of these schools and I got indoctrinated and I I fell for it. I started drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, I would never realize what hit me after a few years in that school. And I'd probably be a leftist right now if I went to that school. And again, I wouldn't know what hit me. I would just think that this is the way I am. But say, perhaps I got a taste of that school one or two years. And I was taken out of that school. And and it sucks in the moment. It sucks when, in the beginning, when I get taken out of that school, I get taken away from my friends. So yes, it would suck, but five, 10, 15 years down the line, realizing the bullet that I dodged would make me so grateful. Like, wow, Dad, thanks for taking me out of that school. I never realized how poisonous and terrible what they're teaching was. I never realized the damage that it causes. To society as a whole. The damage that that mindset inflicts on people. On individuals. Thanks for taking me out of that school. I hated it then and I hated you then. But I sure as hell don't now. Perhaps taking the action to take your child out of such a school would be an act of delayed gratification in this way. So again, what's more important? Being cool now? and developing a mindset of self-hatred and anger and pent-up aggression and life is not fair and victimhood? Or is it being a smart, intelligible person of principle and values with a good head on their shoulders, even if it means sacrificing friends in the near term? Only in the near term, that's it. And this is, I believe, the question that many parents have to answer. It's certainly a question that I will have to answer as a parent one day. Do I want to send my kid to a government-run school that is public school? Do I want to send them to somewhere like FGCU where I went to college when it comes time to go to college and play Russian roulette with their values? Or would I rather have them be homeschooled? And with homeschooling, there's always the concern of Oh, well, they won't have friends. They'll be lonely. Okay, well, what's more important? Being cool? Or is it being a person of principle? Morals? Virtue? Someone who doesn't fall for the Marxist marketing scheme that's rampant in our world. What's more important? Well, I know that if I ever have children, my, that, that I certainly value the latter. I don't care... If my child is cool or not. I wasn't cool. I turned out fine. May have been painful back then. But if I was cool. If I was popular. And had a lot of friends in high school. I wouldn't be where I am today. The struggle. That I went through. Built my character. Made my character what it is today. And so that I know. Then I know with my children. I'll either be homeschooling them. Or they'll be going to a highly, highly vetted private school. I'd actually prefer homeschool, for sure. But I'm open to private school if it's the right fit. If it's not somewhere like this deplorable, absolutely deplorable school. And now the other thing. Our second matter for today. I have somebody who works for me in the Philippines, my assistant. She's really very talented. I love everything that she does. She's so talented at so many things, one of which is her communication skills. And about 14 hours ago, in the middle of my night, her day, she says to me in a message on Basecamp, our project management software that we use, hey Jordan, are you open to a chat about something? I accidentally joined a clubhouse room which is totally my fault, and hung out a bit. The hosts and mods were talking about diversity, Black Lives Matter, etc. This is outside of work, so before I proceed, are you cool with me opening up about my experience with a black woman who tagged me as a hater after I messaged her? I can send you screenshots and tell me if anything I said was hateful, and I was given permission to share this. Before I get to that, A little bit about the room she was in, Julian, provided a little bit more context as to the room and the discussion. She said it's all about black people, racism, and all that. FYI, there were a lot of moderators, a lot of speakers, and listeners in that room. All of them were trying to talk and make their point on the matter at the same time. And since there were a lot of moderators, when this black woman talked, she got muted a couple of times and was being pushed back to the audience. I think it happened twice to two other speakers. Not really sure, since it was turning into a big mess. So what happened was, the room ended. Not sure who ended it. On my clubhouse feed, I saw another room created who ended so-and-so's room. And I thought there's part two of the mess. I entered the room and continued listening. The same topic, all about black people, the black community, race, There were people speaking who had good points, but overall, everyone was agreeing and disagreeing, and it was a whole big mess. Are you with me? LOL. So bottom line there is that these rooms were chaos. So she messaged the woman who hosted the group on Instagram at Portia Bell, P-O-R-S-H-A-B-E-L-L-E. My assistant, always lovely, she says, hi, Portia. I've been listening in your clubhouse room right now. This topic is very divisive. My take on this is not to be too sensitive. Racism doesn't just happen on black people only. It happens to everyone. I'm Asian, and it happens to me a lot. It happens even to white people. Let's not talk about color. Make judgments whether we're white, brown, or black. It's just about good or bad people. And we're all both good and bad. I think we should be thankful that we're in the most diversified era ever now. Let's be thankful of the people in our history that made it happen. And more people making it happen now. Let's spread love. Let's not spark anger and make groups and divide people from this discussion. So there's my assistant catching on to cultural Marxism. These people are race-obsessed Literally everything in these people's worlds is viewed through the lens of race. They are inciting a race war where there is none, where there is no data to back up this supposed race war. But they keep sparking the anger, the poison, the hatred, the division, the fighting. They keep talking about problems that don't exist based off no data or inaccurate data Data that doesn't exist at that. My assistant continues in separate messages here. Let's see color like a rainbow. Different colors combine into one. That makes it beautiful. It's our differences that makes it beautiful. I just feel like there's so much hate around. Let's not add more. Let's spread more love, please. Portia, who of course advocates for diversity, equity, inclusion, love, and peace, and social justice, she says, so-and-so, Get to know me more, because there's some confusion about who you think I am. Also, black people are the only ones who cannot be racist. And racism only exists for them. Thank you. My assistant said, I'm sad that you feel that way. Racism happens to everyone. Portia, she says, also, I spread love, a lot of love, which is why my stage is diverse. And why I go hard for the Asian community and all communities. But she just said that only black people are victims. Just a few seconds ago. Anyhow, my assistant replies, I understand. I don't have anything against you or your movement. Hearing everyone talk on the issues, I'm seeing everyone wants to make a point. We all have points we want to make. There are a lot of people wanting to talk. On the previous room, there was so much rudeness from people. And thank you so much on going hard for Asians, too. I love the room and your push for diversity. But thank you for hosting the room. I think I can't complain since I chose to enter, LOL. Great personal responsibility for my assistant. She goes on, I know your motive is for the good of everyone. Thank you for hearing me out. By the way, I question whether her motive is for the good of everyone. I think it's really for the good of herself and getting attention more than anything else. Anyway, thank you for hearing me out, even if we don't know each other. Spread love. God bless. And then she continues again in another message. Before I really let you go, just one question. And this is an amazing question, by the way. Here's a question. How do you or anyone from our diverse community feel after all of this? Do you feel better getting closer to each other, loving everyone? Or are you hating more? I think that this can be a rhetorical question. We all know the answer to it. These discussions only lead to more hatred anger, and resentment towards the white man. So anyway, Portia replies to the series of messages and the question that my assistant asked, hope you heard my message now. Uh, She's, there's no punctuation here, so it's hard. Hope you heard my message. Now you stop messaging me with your hate, please. Thank you. My assistant replies, thank you for the message. My bad. I chose to enter the room and got tagged as a hater. I don't hate you. Still, God bless. Here, let me just add, just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they hate you. A lot of times in this age of social media, we call people haters, quote-unquote haters, who really just disagree with us. That's all they really are. They're not being rude about it. They just disagree with us, and we classify them as haters. Falsely. I think it's in part due to the avoidance of cognitive dissonance. Anyhow, Portia replies, Yeah, because you don't know me, ma'am. You're assuming things that you have no clue why the room was created. I speak on allyship and inclusion with the Asian community and educate to stop Asian hate. But again, I thought you said that racism only happens towards black people and that black people can't be racist. You just said that. Anyhow, Portia says more, but you will not come in my space with your talk. I don't appreciate it. She's just asking questions, voicing her opinion just about as respectfully as anyone can. I mean, my assistant has almost no ego. Her ego gets in the way of nothing. She doesn't hold grudges. She doesn't get angry at people, at least from what I know. She's certainly not angry here. Anyway, my assistant replies, All right, sorry for making you feel that way. Just a tiny voice here. I don't do talking anyway. She doesn't. She's very much behind the scenes. Just wanted to reach out and let you know how I feel. Not well received, but thank you for your time replying. And my assistant sends me all these screenshots and says, Now tell me if that was hateful. I said, what's happening here is that she's projecting her own hatred and pent-up aggression onto you. She's seething with rage, constantly. And my assistant became her outlet. Her veins are pulsating with hatred and resentment towards the white man. I'm certain. And I made sure, and and my, my assistant, who's just innocent, a gem of a person, so kind, always completely innocent and just unassuming, really doesn't have any firsthand experience with an interaction like this with someone from America. And I said, in the future, no need to engage with these types. They're all the same. An outward show of love, but it's all an act. They seethe with rage and their veins are filled with poison and hatred on the inside. Their outward show of love and peace and Morality is really just a disguise for what's brewing beneath the surface, which, as we have seen in this case from this interaction, is a lot of hatred and pent-up aggression and a chip on these people's shoulders. This is exactly what Robert Greene told me, who, by the way, is a liberal. Robert Greene, the author of the 48 Laws of Power this is and, and the Laws of Human Nature and all sorts of other really famous books on power and human nature and whatnot, he told me this about social justice warriors, and I reference it all the time. Cue the clip.
1: People who are extreme virtue signalers, who are social justice warriors, who are always so moral, they're always on the right side of things, they're so politically correct about everything, they're disguising the fact that they're actually fascinated with the exact opposite that they're actually filled with all kinds of dark impulses, Uh that they actually have a lot of hostility towards people, a lot of aggression that's hidden. Yes, But they're trying to put this front over that they're morally superior and morally pure. But they've developed this facade of being so righteous and of being so in favor of the best causes that you feel afraid of challenging them. It's their shield, it's their weapon against you. So you're immediately intimidated and put on your, you know, on the defensive with them. But that's a sure sign that they're disguising the exact opposite, that they have a lot of demons and darkness and dark impulses, that they're not moral at all. They're the worst kinds, and then they'll get other people to gang up on you, and they'll make your life miserable. They'll hound you on Twitter or wherever.
0: And to wrap up, my assistant who handles and listens to my podcast episodes because she creates content, all the content from these episodes, all the graphics and whatnot. I said, now you see firsthand from firsthand experience, how crazy these types are, huh? You see now why I talk about them all the time. She said, yes, in all caps. And she said, it made me cry. Again, this is Portia Bell. We're talking about P-O-R-S-H-A-B-E-L-L-E, same tag on Instagram and Clubhouse. Portia Bell, what a kind soul. Maybe I'll invite her on the program. I think I will. And my assistant, she finishes with saying to me, I'm happier and more thankful that I'm here in the Philippines and not anywhere else in the world where there's so much hate and anger. Now I understand the change in your tone when you talk about this topic. Now I know, dot dot dot. And she's referring to, of course, the rebrand of my show from Growth Mindset University, the business self helpy, feel good show, to the more serious Jordan Parrish show and the change in tone that came with it. And then she says, Keep using your voice for the truth. That I will, that we will. And I encourage you to Join in the battle of ideas as well, because it takes all of us not being silent. Each and every one of us using our voices, speaking up against tyranny, Marxism, self hating ideologies, class warfare, social justice. If we're silent, we're just going to continue to get steamrolled. And if we use our voices, Perhaps we'll inspire someone else to use their voice, inspire someone else to speak up, and we will then create the positive ripple effect that we need right now more than ever if we want to keep our country, the United States of America. Please use your voice. Don't stay silent. Use it
1: or you're going to lose it. Thanks all for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.